At the age of 18, I had been found guilty for murder, aggravated battery, and armed violence. My sentence was 28 years. If they get me again, it's called three strikes around. I'm 58. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm so tired of trying. And no matter what it is that I do, a lot of times it just ain't working out. Reentry sometimes is a misnomer because it implies a second chance. And the reality for a lot of our brothers is that they never really had a first chance. I begin to think that the best place for me to be was back in one of them sales because it's the only thing it is that I knew. You have no idea what it's like, man. And every step for me has been very challenging. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim and this week we are talking to Sadiq and Justin. As you'll have heard just before this, um, we played a trailer from the documentary called The Honest Struggle, which looks at Sadiq's first year um, out of prison. Actually, it looks at his time from being released from prison up until the end of his parole period. Um, and we speak to him about his experience and also more widely about the experience of, of Muslim converts or African-American Muslim converts in the prison system in America and their re-entry and reintegration into society and, and how that's supported or not supported, I guess, um, by, by the wider Muslim community. Justin is the, um, the director and producer of the documentary. Um, and we got the opportunity to speak to both of them. Uh, the, the documentary is due to release on the 8th of April. Um, I'm hoping to have this podcast out before then. If not, then hopefully it won't be too late afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, Sadiq's a hugely inspiring individual. Throughout the documentary, you get glimpses into his, his life, where he's come from, and, and, and this... Um, I guess ideology that he's, uh, not ideology, but this mindset that he's got about him that's just so positive and, and he's so determined to just make a difference and make a change and, and I guess almost leave the life that he once led behind him. He was incarcerated at the age of 18 um, and, and spent a considerable part of his life in prison, found Islam within that system and his, his story is incredible and, and, and Justin's done a fantastic job in the documentary in, in documenting that. Um, and, and being there along the journey and, and, and we, we get a, a, a very gritty and real insight into, um, into Sadiq's experience, which I'm sure is the experience of so many. Um, and and, and I, I fear that a lot of people's experiences don't end as positively as Sadiq's has, where he's able to kind of maintain his faith and, and hold on to that um, throughout the journey. So just before I play uh, our conversation, I also want to tell you guys about a Launch Good campaign um, that we're currently fundraising for. So we're trying to raise £2,500, um, which will help malnourished babies and um, new mothers in Pakistan and Kenya. 
Um, we're looking to to help 25,000 people with, with the money that you guys will donate. And with this current scheme, the government, the UK government is willing to match up to two million pounds worth of donations. So for every penny um, or dollar that you donate towards this campaign, the UK government will match um, in, 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 well, well, they'll match it. Um, so it would be absolutely fantastic if, if people listening to this were, are able to donate. I'm gonna put the link in the description, um, you know, a hundred, Sorry, £10 um, will help over 100 people. Um, and, and what we've got going on is through Penny Appeal, they, they'll have a mobile screening unit um, that will be going around to the villages and I guess offering the, the support and education and uh, also screening for serious life-threatening illnesses that are preventable and can be prevented, but unfortunately aren't. Um, and you'll see over the next couple of days on our Facebook page and our social media channels, uh, a few interviews and case studies of, of people in, in those parts of the world um, that haven't been so lucky and, and I mean one of the interviews is of a grandmother who's um, looking after her grandchild because the mother of the child passed away um, early on and it's, it's the situation that's faced by thousands of people across the world and a lot of these things are preventable with the right education and with the right sort of hospital services and, and medical services generally. So uh, the link is launchgood.com slash fragile lives. Again, the link will be in the description of this podcast. Please donate generously. Um, and with that, here's our conversation with Sadiq and Justin. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum Sadiq and Justin. Thank you very much for joining me. Walaikum Asalaam. Um, so, you know, we've just listened to the, the, the trailer um, for the documentary and, and Sadiq, I've got to say, and starting with you, the, your journey, and, and I was lucky enough to actually watch the documentary yesterday, your journey is, is fascinating and I think um, I wanted to thank you, I guess, for, for sharing such an intimate perspective on, on the first year out of prison after 20 plus years. How, how was it for you, I guess, you know, sharing that with a, with a film crew? Um, I'm very comfortable when getting out that uh, at some point we have to begin to uh, look at things from a different perspective. You know, we have to look at things from an understanding that can, can be kind of strange to us. But inshallah, you know, we will allow ourselves to grow into understanding that we all play a very, very major part in brothers coming, brothers and sisters coming back out to society, uh, having been subjected to uh, that kind of cruel and unusual punishment. Because uh, I assure you, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's just that. Hmm. And my adjustment by itself has been very difficult. However, uh, because of my belief in how it is that I worship at this point in my life, uh, I found it to be everything it is that the Quran teaches us that it's going to be a struggle. So it's my job, I feel like, and my responsibility to begin to share with others what people go through, our brothers and sisters uh, that go through when they come out here to society and the things it is that they're being subjected to, just trying to maintain uh, who it is that they are now as Muslims. And we need people out in society to understand that contrary to what it is that they think, uh, a lot of the people that have been subjected to prison may not have necessarily done the things it is that they have been accused of. So, uh, and it's my hopes to try to maybe get them a better chance and, and having some hope 
you know, getting, restoring their hope and what it is that they should do when they come out here when faced with the same things it is that I was faced with when I came out here. Because they might not survive it. But yeah. through the Dean of Al-Islam uh, and, and people like uh, Justin, uh, I was able to maintain to get myself to another point where I can perhaps build some assistance to those who don't know what it is that I know. No, that's that's. Uh, I mean, the, the documentary, and I hope people do get a chance to watch the documentary. It's out on the eighth of April, I believe. Um, it it shows uh, a very human side to to I guess the condition almost of of reentry into society, and I think that's something that's fascinating because you think about people doing a crime, going to prison for it, but you never really see the what next because people are like, okay, they've 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 done their time now. It's 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 done. It's over. But I guess that's where the real struggle begins. And I think you mentioned it and I've, I've heard it mentioned before that some people come back into society and the first thing they want to do is go back into prison because they're habituated and they understand prison. They know the rules. They know how things work, Absolutely. But, but they don't understand real society. Um, I, I want to quickly bring in Justin. So how, uh, Justin, how did you uh, meet Sadiq? How did you guys, uh, I guess, form this relationship? And I think you guys seem to be very close right now. Um, how, how did that, I guess, brotherhood develop and, and um, you know, the honest struggle, how, how did that journey begin for you? So uh, for me, it began in, uh, you know, in 2008, I got this, you know, very strange but serendipitous email from uh, a chaplain in uh, South, South Dakota. And he was looking for Muslims to correspond with you know, the Muslims that were in the prison, he was a Christian chaplain and, but he was, uh, uh, you know, basically in charge of the Muslims in the, in the uh, prison there. So I thought, you know, he had found my email from like the MSA website and it was just like, how in the world did you find my email? And at the time I was kind of, I had been finishing a do uh, my, my previous documentary, uh, Warring Factions. And I said, you know, this is, this is God's way of telling me, like, I have to, I have to work on this. Like, I have to find out more about this community. So I started writing with the brother. Um, and then I started reaching out to people that I knew that had some connection with the, the prison system and said, you know, do you know anybody that's in prison? And so I started writing other people and all of that led me to, um, finding Iman, the Inner City Muslim Action Network in Chicago, um, and their uh, re-entry program that they have. Um, and yeah. I thought it was very fascinating. I thought it was like, this is like, this is, these are the people that are on the cutting edge. You know, they are actively looking for, you know, men to help and they're doing it in a unique and, uh, you know, transformative way. So in 2010, I started filming with Iman um, and there with their program and i wanted to capture somebody that uh, i wanted to document somebody from the day that they were released until the day that they were off parole and um unfortunately some of the folks that were in their program they just didn't really fit that mold at that time you know they had been out for some time they were kind of like uh you know getting back on their feet but then city came in 2013 and I said, okay, this is my, this is going to be the, this is going to be my subject. And, um, you know, we've, you know, formed a very, you know, a close bond. Uh, Sadiq is a, is, you know, a very fascinating story. He's also a very talented musician. Um, and he's a very dynamic personality, um, that also, you know, was very comfortable opening his life to me. So, um, I was confident that Sadiq's, story was going to be the main framework of of the film 
I, ju- I just, uh, as you were talking, I just, I don't know if you guys have seen a film called Blind Spotting. No. So it, it's it's actually a very similar thing where it, it looks at someone who's who's coming up to their parole period, uh, a black man in America, um, and and he witnesses a, a shooting, or the police shooting a, a a black man that was running away from them, and the whole film is is centered around race and about perceptions of of people and of ex convicts and and of black men in America, and it, it's it's a it's a fascinating film and, and I, I guess similar in, in some respects in terms of Sadiq's story and his journey and also, you know, the struggles of finding work and things like that. And and I, I think there's a fact mentioned in the documentary that, that um, black men who have come out of prison um, get rejected job applications, I think, 60 percent more times, something something to that effect. So um, the, the, even the, the, the title of the documentary was intriguing in itself when you when you reached out, Justin, because the honest struggle um i i think is 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 apt as anything um when it comes to talking about the experience back to you sadiq um if you can and this is going to be very difficult i i apologize in advance (laughs) are you able to summarize um very briefly your your background what led to you being incarcerated um, at the age of 18 and then also your journey to finding islam um within the prison system because i think it's important to understand the context, but I think the main crux of what we want to discuss is um, re-entry into society and, you know, looking at the Muslim community, how they supported you, what more could be done, and also highlighting, you know, the Project Green re-entry and, and the work that Iman do as well. So if we can start with looking back at, at, at the journey that got you to the place that you're at now, um, and, and if we can be brief, because I know that could be a podcast in itself, and I mean, the documentary, you talk a lot about it, but I guess, yeah, over to you. Well, to begin with, uh, like many uh, black men uh, inside the, uh, the black community, I was raised as a Baptist. I knew nothing about Islam. Uh, my only conversation about Muslims was from a nationalistic standpoint, uh, black power, uh, black this, black that. So I grew up thinking that maybe um, that was something it is that I didn't want to have anything to do with. And that's how I was introduced to the nation of Islam, uh, is through the black power struggle and things of that nature. However, I never learned when I did any kind of reading, nothing about Islam. It didn't dawn on me that I had something called Islam, and Islam means his version of it. That don't necessarily mean it's the real thing. It's a watered down version of it. So as a result of receiving that, uh, I was under the impression that I was lined up straight. I was under the impression that I can still do whatever it is I was doing inside of the community, uh, which was gains and violence and anything it is that would allow us to exist as human beings. Uh, so until I discovered Islam in its entirety. I was like many other brothers it is that I see out in the community that have a watered down version of Islam. I thought I was lined up straight. But no matter what it is that I did, it wasn't working out for me. And even as what I thought was a Baptist when I was going to church, I knew it didn't fit right to me. It didn't sound right to me. It didn't feel right to me and something was missing. And not only that, it couldn't keep me out of harm's way. And the greatest harm it is that I was being subjected to was the one it is that I was introducing myself to. I was doing it all to myself. But I didn't realize that until I began to read and study. After I began to read and study uh, back in the, I'll say in, in maybe, maybe about 2007, I realized that, wait a minute, everything it is that I've heard about Islam it's not what it is that I've learned. 
everything it is that I've seen is not what it is that I'm now reading about. So where's this stuff coming from? So as a result of me learning more, I began to talk with other brothers who was a little bit more conscious and a little bit more well-educated about Islam. And they began to show me in the Quran how I had been living an entire life. So in spite of the Shahada that I had took in, in the middle 70s, I said, wait a minute. First of all, I want to go back and take my Shahada again because I took it under the wrong influences. Mm -hmm. So to me, it didn't count at all. So that means that I had to leave the gangs it is that what I was introduced to in the 1960s, where the whole community was introduced to. I had to disregard the fact that, uh, like America say, I was a gangster. I was this, I was that. I was anything other than what, what the Quran was telling me uh, I was, which was a human being. So as I began to learn more about Islam, I also began to realize that it was my job to share as much as I possibly can with others who was less fortunate to get it the way it is that I was now getting it because they too had had a watered down version. And which means that it kept us into a cycle of behavior that wouldn't allow us to do anything other than what it is that we was doing. So anytime that it is I got locked up, I was grateful to be there because society had convinced me that this, first of all, that's where it is that I belong. Does that make sense? So we're moving in a direction now where I'm coming into the Dean of Al-Islam and I'm realizing that, you know, the Creator was telling me something entirely different, but all my life I had been listening to what others was telling me. So I couldn't get myself together with that. You know, what nothing it is I was doing was working out. So even as a teenager, when they locked me up, I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to live. You know, this is what takes place in our community. This is who it is that we are. And Islam, as I began to study it, set me free from that kind of thinking. It set me free from thinking that I was a gangster. I was a murderer. I was anything other than what it is that I knew I wasn't. So I had to change my mind and disregard everything it is I had learned all my life, taking a throw behind my back and make myself receptive to the truth. And it was this truth that set me free. So now, when I get to the street with a new mindset, people looking at to who it is that I used to be. Yeah. They don't want to accept who it is that I am. They want to accept who it is that I used to be. So no matter how many things it is that I've done correct, they always look it back, well, this guy here was a gang chief. This guy's responsible for murders in the community. This guy's responsible for gang activity. This guy's responsible for anything and everything it is that does, has done the community injustice. So now I'm back in the street trying to right the wrong it is that I felt I might have contributed to. So that began to make me realize that this was part of my struggle. I was supposed to go through this. I was supposed to meet Justin. I was supposed to uh, do everything it is I possibly can because to, to change things because I had contributed to the problem. Like many others in the community are doing right now. And, and I think um, there's, there's something in the documentary, there's a few scenes where you're mentoring young kids in the community. And, and obviously, you know, with your background in music, you're, you're helping them with, with producing their own music and, and I guess giving them an opportunity to upskill themselves and whatever else. And, and you talk about this notion of, of giving back. And I think it's, it's very inspiring to see that because, again, you know, from, from my perspective in, in the kind of the, the sheltered bubble that I've lived, I haven't experienced um, the things that you have and, and you know you talk about gangs and the violence and the, the, you know you mentioned guns in the documentary and the fascination that you had with them and, and going to your friend's house and trying to get a gun and whatever else and it's it's such an alien world um, but then when when you kind of come out the other end 
and and you look back and you obviously acknowledge the 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 wrong that you've done and and the life that you've lived what's what's inspiring is that you you're you're dedicated and you're determined to make a difference and and to actually have a positive stamp and and your legacy not being that and not being what people see you as because they remember your history but actually saying that I'm going to change the future you know for younger generations and what I'm going to leave in the streets you know wherever you are is 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 a, I guess a positive impact leave your mark in that way and I think that's what's and, and, and again, Justin, you do a fantastic job, I think, of, of conveying that, of covering that um, in, in the documentary. I went back, um, sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, no, go on. I went back to Chicago uh, on February the 8th to uh, a Janassa. And when I got back and they did the repass, I get in this area where all of these gang members are at. These guys are still in the mix. And all I'm going to take pictures with me. All I'm wanting to be seen with me because they seen that uh, not only was I willing to die for what it is I believe in now, I'm willing to denounce the things it is that I've done in the past. And, and um, I don't compromise with that with, with, with them. You know, I don't try to mix with them in ways it is that would not do them a justice. So every time I got ready to leave, these gangsters would say, come on, man, take a picture with me before you go. Come on, man, uh, let's talk about what it is that you believe in right now. And they seen that I was unyielding in my approach. They seen that I was telling them that, you know, first of all, you're living a lie. The same lie it is that I live. So don't wait until the judge tell you that you got a hundred years before you realize that it's all a joke, that it's all a game. So you got to figure out what is inspiring you to live like this. And behind them not knowing anything about Islam, they couldn't put the pieces together. But see, also realizing, talking to them, that like a baby, you can't give them meat and bread. You got to give them milk. Because mm -hmm. if you give them some meat and bread, you'll kill them, right? So I began to try to give them milk to see, listen, man, you know, this is not coming from me. I can take you to a source where this information is coming from, where you can see I'm not trying to draw you closer to me. I'm not trying to win your idealistic uh, favorism anymore. I'm not trying to lead you to anything other than God. That's it. And that's the only way it is that we can begin together to right some of the wrongs and things it is that we see taking place in the community. Of course, this is like a foreign language to them. Because where we come from is every man for himself. No matter how much of a connection it is you think we have as brothers, you know, it's still every man for himself. So I, Can I ask, so, sorry to interrupt you, but um, this is more for my understanding in terms of the American scene. Um, the, the environment that you grew up in um, and that still exists and the gang culture that still exists, where does that come from? What do you attribute as the reason behind that being in existence? Brotherhood, right? Something it is that I was missing even though I knew existed when I was little. Uh, as an entertainer, I had two choices, to be an entertainer or be a part of the gang. The gang was flourishing in the neighborhood. So naturally behind everybody being involved, I had to get involved as well because my brothers was in it, the families was in it, the mothers was in it, but it all started for reasons that would say we're going to keep drugs out of the community. We're going to keep hard drugs out of the community. We don't want that. Yes, yeah, so that was like the initial intent. That was like... the initial intent, you know, establishing an organization. However, as things begin to change and the black power struggle was being thrown out the window and being replaced with something called Superfly <laughs> and the Mac. You know, these things so it, like, it was derogatory. Like the pimps and, and the... Yeah, the pimps and, and the drug dealing. So 
things took on a change. So here I am in the environment, even as a youngster, saying, man, listen, this is not the way it is we're supposed to live. And, and all the people I grew up with, all the people that was part of the gang saying, man, you done lost your mind. We got to get some money. You know, it ain't about that black stuff no more. You know, we got to get some money. So now I'm still trying to hold on to something even in the game that don't even exist. They tell me it was all in my mind. Say, man, we done, we, we beyond that now. You know, we're trying to get some money. We got to get on down on these women. We got to sell this cocaine and this heroin. And I couldn't understand that. So every time they locked me up, it gave me freedom away from that once again. So even as a youngster and being inside of an institution, I was talking with the younger guys about, man, this is not how it is that we're supposed to live. But I still had no idea, no foundation such as this law. And that's the reason why I wasn't able to be uh, a little bit more encouraging to them because I was coming to them in the language it is that they didn't understand. But as I continue to read, brother, I learned that uh, in the Quran, it teaches you that, you know, you can talk to them until you turn blue. Right. Ain't nothing going to change the circumstances, the situation, but the creator. Only thing you're responsible for is the message. So that made it easy for me to say what it is I need to say and step back out the way and let the creator do the rest. And um, I think, as I mentioned, we wanted to talk about the, the Muslim community and, and your journey in reintegrating and, and that process. So I'll turn this one, I'll start with Justin on this. Um, Justin, do you feel like we have, as a, as a sort of born Muslim community or people that have, you know, had Islam in their lives from a very young age, do you feel like we do enough to support our brothers um, I, I guess converts generally, but then also converts who are ex-convicts as well. Um, how, how do you feel? And obviously you've now seen it up close. Um, do you feel there's a disconnect there? Because personally I do. Um, but what was your experience filming this documentary and, and getting, I guess, a, a, a front row seat into Sadiq's life and experience, but also the, the, the individuals in his life, um, like the brothers in the, in the house that they were in, Hassan, I can't remember the other brother's name, uh, Qadir as well. Um, how, how do you feel that all, like, like, what was your view on everything? So, I mean, for me, when I look at, you know, the, the Islamic precedent for when somebody commits themselves and uh, to Islam, they, they become a Muslim. It's essentially that they're coming into a family, you know, they're becoming your brother. And the way that we act in generally, like, like you said, in, in like, uh, I don't want to just limit it to saying the, the immigrant Muslim community, uh, but, you know, whatever, the born Muslim community is to say, yeah. like, um, you know, it's, oh, that, that, that's cute. You know, like, that's nice that you've, you've decided to do some of the things that we do, but I'll see you at the mosque. I'm going to salam you. But after that, like, I'm going to go to do my thing. You're going to do your thing. And yeah. they aren't, you know, realizing that one, um, you know, people that are coming to Islam are in need of guidance. They're in need of friendship. They're in need of social interaction mm -hmm. in order to maintain that Iman, right. And for it to flourish. Um, and it's something that we, we take for granted, right? Because we may have our families and our extended families that are all Muslims and we'll be able to have the Ramadan dinners and the Eids and all of the just regular, what we would consider mundane social interactions, which to a convert are extremely important, right? Um, so extending that to people that are coming out of prison, um, who the vast majority of, of Muslims who are coming out of prison are converts, their experience 
with Islam is limited to the Islam that they're exposed to in prison, mm -hmm. which is a very unique, close knit. Um, I, I, I call it like Islam in a vacuum because what it is, is it's like this thing is going to save your life if you and and if you start slipping away from it, you will die in this system. You will die um, because you are going to lose your the Islam is more than just a prayer rug and a kufi in the in in the prison it's a social structure it's a system mm -hmm. of brotherhood yes, it's yes. also a system of security mm -hmm. literal security to keep right. you from being murdered and attacked and taken advantage of um in the prison so um when you go through such a um traumatic experience with people and you are literally saving each other's lives on a day-to-day -day in prison and then you come out oh, wow. and you see how muslims are and just like in our mundane interactions like what the hell this is like a totally <laughs> di this is a totally different like thing like sadiq right now is just like throwing his hands up in the air it's like two absolutely different situations right yeah, so <laughs> i feel like sadiq's itching to speak sadiq i, yeah, I mean, feel yeah, free yeah, to take yeah, over to, speak to it it's, it's, it's a big difference. You know, you're in this, this tight-knit family in prison, like the brother was saying. You know, where you, you guard the dean. You know, you watch your behavior. You watch your conduct. You watch the language. And then you get out here in the street, and, you know, you can run across some Muslims that's not of the same nationality as you, won't even accept the fact that you're Muslim. Yeah. You know, you go to certain mosques, and they be looking at, like, looking at you like, what you doing there? Right. You know, and, and all is strange to you, you know, because you, you you tell yourself this ain't what it is that I've studied when I was incarcerated. The same brotherhood yeah. we had when I was in prison is the same brotherhood I look for even more when I came to the street. Instead, you run across things like uh, a matter of fact, I recently had a conversation with a young man from from uh, USC and he asked me, say, oh, uh, uh, he was from India. He said, when did you uh, convert? I said, you Muslim? You know, he said, yeah. I say, well, I've never converted. I say, I've always been a Muslim. I say, your question should be, when did I start practicing? I say, because according to the Dean of Al-Islam, everything is born Muslim. He said, you're absolutely right. I say, you should ask me and others that you run into that don't look like you, when did you start practicing? That should be the question. And he didn't understand that. He said, but I agree with you 100%. So in order for us to bridge this gap, the first thing it is that you have to do is stop looking at who it is that I am with this. Yeah. You know, and, you, and, and together we can get the work done because as long as you're looking at it like that, we're divided. We're two separate communities. And you can see it all over America and it shouldn't be like that. That's not the Islam it is that I learned about. Yeah, that's yeah. one thing that I feel like is very unique about Sadiq's perspective is that he sees everybody essentially as a potential Muslim. You know what I'm saying? Like he sees everybody uh, with a potential for Iman in their hearts. And I feel like a lot of, you know, people like myself, um, you know, we look at, you know, people as like, okay, well, like that person is a non-believer and that person's a Muslim and they're so different, right? Um, hmm. but in reality, we're all spiritual beings and we're all striving towards God. Just some people are just striving in the wrong direction. Um, it's just, it's just a matter of, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that guidance and Sadiq yeah. sees that in such a beautiful, practical way that like, it's really taught me a lot. 
I want to also ask about, um, you know, when you were, I think Justin was describing the the Islam and the brotherhood element to, to the Islam in prison. Um, I feel like there's a perception and, and sometimes also when I look at it as well, I see like people convert to Islam because of that yearning for brotherhood and belonging and oneness and whatever else, which is, which is I guess, fine on like a, on a base level and it makes sense. But... There's a there's obviously a much deeper element and and Sadiq when when you talk about Islam and what it's done for you and 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 your relationship with God I I feel like I you know I, I could be wrong but I feel like you you've transcended that base desire for brotherhood and there's a much deeper attachment to the Deen um, which is that that it's 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 changed your life it's it's taken you out of darkness and brought you into light and it's it's kind of shown you something completely different but. Within the prison system, uh, and this might be a naive question, but within the prison system, how many people or, or how much of, of the converts to Islam are converting simply for the brotherhood and for the fact that they don't want to get killed and, and they want that security? Or, or is, there, is that how it starts and then they, they, they form a deeper relationship with the religion and with God? Or is it just that's it and then the second they're out, they don't care about Islam anymore because that was just a convenient thing then? Well... A great deal of brothers that was in prison that allowed themselves to turn to the Dean of Al-Islam came out to the street and were subjected to the same thing it is I was subjected to. Uh, rejection, uh, 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 no encouragement and things of that nature. Uh, they wasn't around a good Muslim family anymore. Matter of fact, some of the brothers was coming out of prison was told that they couldn't get the halfway houses unless they prayed like Christians. They said the halfway houses was available was only for those who is who said Jesus was God. So these brothers would come out and just to get to these places because they had no other place to go. They had to go inside of a Christian setting. So what took place with that is they end up dropping the dean of Al-Islam, right? And when they dropped the dean, that forced them back out in the street to do the same things that they was doing before they, before they put them in there. So when they go back in, now they getting hold to Islam again. So a lot of the options it is that's available uh, in prison are not available when you come to the street. Mm. You know, so that means that the same brotherhood that they had sustained themselves with for years and years and years was left in prison. Now they're out here on the street, but that brotherhood, that compassion, that concern, that connection, that strength no longer exists. So that puts them in a whole nother place, a whole nother set of dynamics is taking place now. So what's taking place with that is that the street is usually calling. We know Shaitan now. He's calling. Man, forget about that. Forget about them prayers. Put that book down. You better get out here and get your money. Mm -hmm. Right? So you don't begin to, to pick up Islam again until you get back in prison and, and you got a chance to come back out if you get that opportunity. But a lot of times when brothers go back in, like, I, I know a guy, he came out, he was one of the teachers in prison. He ended up getting locked back up. They gave him natural life. Wow. He got natural life the, the third time, right? So I'm saying to myself, this is one of our teachers. So I was questioning myself, asking, what happened? And it was clear to me, you didn't place yourself in an, an Islamic environment. So if you're not in an Islamic environment, first of all, you left your books, you left your swords. You left your books, you left your shield. So everything it is that has held you down over the years, you leave in prison. So when you come out here to the street, brother, ain't nothing to protect you no more. 
So and with me, I came out with my books. I brought my books with me, Quran and everything, because I knew that would be the only thing to protect me from what others had failed with. And you, you were transitioned into that into a Muslim environment. I was in a Muslim environment where the, the dawn was called every morning, you know, where we did sooner prayers, where we sat down and we studied and we read. So it's important for these brothers to have that coming out of prison. It's very important for them to have that because that gives them the hope it is that's needed to hold on. It gives them that iman, as Justin said. And, and we don't... Sorry, so so Project Green Reentry, which is which is the the halfway house that you 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 went into, um, which organization I guess is responsible for that, or is that an organization in itself? That's uh that's an organization that the organization that founded that is called Iman, the Inner City Muslim Action Network, and they're based mm -hmm. in Chicago. Uh, that project was co-founded by uh, that Green Reentry project was co-founded by Rami Nashashibi, who's actually a Palestinian American brother, but he grew up on the south side of Chicago and he saw a lot of, you know, he was very much inspired by the kind of black American expression of, of Islam, even though he came from an immigrant background. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of gravitated in a way that was like, you know, if we really want to um, interact and we really want to do good to those around us, the first place to do it right here is in the, in the, in the South side of Chicago. You know, this is like the place that needs guidance. Um, and we live right, right there, you know, that he, 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 he basically reached out to his neighbors and that, that was his kind of goal and, and mission in life. So they've accomplished so much. They have, wow, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really unbelievable. And every year it just keeps more growing larger. They have a, a full-time health clinic, free health clinic that they see people. Uh, they, they give away food. They have an art center. Now they're teaching kids pottery. They have. Construction uh, class. That's right. Yeah, teaching them construction. Yep. And all of these brothers is coming out of prison. He grabbing these brothers that's coming out of prison, saying, "Wait a minute, how does you twenty two? Listen, we're gonna bring you over here, man, and put you inside of this school, and we're gonna put you around some more Muslims. Matter of fact, it's prayer time. Let's go. It's time for us to make a lot. So he's keeping them grounded with who it is that they say they are Muslims, and he's holding them accountable. So, th th like Justin was saying, they since the last time I was in Chicago, they have bought entire blocks and set them up for Muslims coming out of prison so they have some place to stay. They've taken home from the gang members, renovated them and turned them into homes it is that Muslims can have opposed to going to a Christian setting where you can continue to practice the deen of al-Islam. So this is one of the kind of settings it is that I came home to. But since that time, they have grown tremendously. Yeah. Tremendously. Yeah. But is, is there still enough being done, though? Because I, I know that the statistics are very high and, and people converting to Islam within a, a prison setting is, is, is also exponentially quite high. So are enough or are Muslim organizations doing enough um, in this way, do you think? You know, I think Iman is really an outlier. They're, they're some of the first ones to do this type of work uh, at yeah. this scale. Of course, uh, of course, the, the, the community of Worth Dean Muhammad was doing uh, some similar work, but Iman is, has really taken it to the next the next yeah. level. And that's actually inspired by that community. But um, to be honest with you, it's not it's not enough. Right. Like here in California, um, we have an incredible amount of uh, Muslims that are locked up, but we don't have a program yet as 
robust as imams, right? That does both housing. We don't even have a Muslim transitional home here. That's a full-time transitional home for Muslims with that type of, you know, so just even though Iman is doing it in Chicago and now Atlanta, um, we, we don't have like that, something like that here on, uh, on the West coast. Um, you know, we're starting to see Alhamdulillah organizations look ahead, uh, like Talif, uh, collective, which is doing some work, um, with brothers who are coming out, uh, brothers and sisters that are coming out of prison with their mental health, with, you know, healing them, uh, and helping them give, getting those social tools and that community. Um, also there's a great organization called Tayaba Foundation, which is based in California, which does outreach, um, and Islamic education to those people who are locked up. Um, but really there's so much work that needs to be done on a local level because every mosque has the potential to do so much help to people that are coming home. And it's very simple things. You know, there are so many very privileged communities in our in the US that are getting marble flooring and big halls and libraries and fancy carpets and all that. How about just having a breakfast every Saturday for Ooh. free and having fudger and inviting the brothers that are that that need it. You know, that's a very simple act that you know, Sadiq and the brothers, they, they enjoyed. But I think, sorry to cut you off, but I like, I, I, it's your, you're right. 100%. It makes so much sense to do that. But I feel like the issue goes beyond that in terms of the fact that if one of these, um, I'm going to call them born Muslim centers, but like an Indo-Pak center, for example, was to have an open day and, and say anyone is welcome for breakfast and we'll pray Salah. Like, I don't think our centers are yet welcoming enough that African-American reverts would turn up and would say, yeah, I want to do this because we don't have like the, the cultural barriers and boundaries between us are too strong. Um, and, and I think the, you know, the irony of all of that is that the three of us, we're all brothers in Islam. We, you know, we're all having one conversation here and we're all from vastly different backgrounds. And I think that's the beauty of all of this. Yet when it comes to how we practice and when it comes to our centers, they're all still ethnocentric. And it's something that I have a huge gripe with when it comes to our centers in the UK. Um, and, and I know the experience is similar in the US as well. Yeah. Um, but, but that's something that I think needs to change over time. And, and it needs for, for us to pioneer that. Yeah, um, yeah we, need, we need to be connected to people. I mean, it do, it's not even just enough to say, I mean, the first step is having a center that is welcoming and that people can come in and not be looked at like they're being, you know, that they're, like they're going to steal something or like they're going to do yeah. something strange or, you know, uh, do something terrible. Um, that's the first step. The next step is really at an institutional level, at a leadership level, being connected to chaplains that are serving Muslims to saying like, okay, you know, what are your needs right now? Like, how can we help? Can we come in and volunteer and teach classes? Is there anybody yeah. that's coming out in the next six months? We can try to start helping them with a job, trying to help find them a place to stay, um, starting to build a, a curriculum for those who are coming home, a care package, something as simple as being able to get them um, mass transit and a, a, you know, a bus card. Um, is so wildly important uh, for their well-being to get on their feet and get employment. So these are even small things that we can do that could have a huge impact for people that are coming home. And, 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 no, and, for sure. and, and, and I wholeheartedly agree. 
uh, you know, it's just the small things it is that we can do as Muslims that will mean so much to a Muslim returning to society. You know, clothing, uh, 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 just helping them get an ID, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just helping them get a haircut. Uh, just making it possible for him to sit down with other Muslims who have been through what it is that he's gone through, you know, to see that, hey, listen, you know, this is part of the struggle, to educate them, you know, and one of the things it is that we have to do is come away from the idea that uh, we can't do it. We must do it. Yeah. We should do it. You know, and we have to stop making excuses for that, you know, because the world is not going to stop being what it is as a result of what it is that we believe in. So ain't nothing else left for us to do but to work. Yeah, that's right. Because we're not guaranteed to be here next week. Yep. It's not guaranteed that we're going to be here next week. So we have to put the work in today. These brothers and sisters need us to put the work in. Every day that one of them is being released, we need to be there for them like they was there for me. Because that made a difference in my life. There's there's something that um, that I've come to kind of live by, which which is about the fact that ultimately it's not about the end destination, it's about the journey. As you mentioned, we don't know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So as long as we're striving till our last breath, and as long as we're doing good as much as we can, that's it. We can't, you know, if, if we if we try and look at the scale of what we're trying to achieve, like if we talk about the prison system, if we're trying to support every single brother that comes out of prison. And, and give them a better life and give them that support network. Yes, that's where we want to get to. But the task is huge. So long as on a day by day, you know, a, a day by day, so long as we're supporting individuals and we're helping them, we're doing what we can as much as possible, as long as we're on that journey, that's all we can do and leave the rest up to God. So I, 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 I completely, um, you know, get where you're coming from. I've got a final question for both of you. So first, Sadiq. Um, the documentary, at the end of the documentary, you make your way to L.A. Um, and I wanted to know what, what you're up to now. I'm, I'm curious. I watched it yesterday, so it's a bit surreal watching a documentary where you're featuring and then the next minute I'm, I'm having a conversation with you about it and I can, I can, <laughs> I can have a bit of a follow-up. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, what are you up to right now? The struggle continues, you know. Uh, the struggle continues. On the struggle, part process. two. Uh, yeah, I thought about that. One. Uh, it's a struggle because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out here in the street. I'm talking with people. I'm trying to secure contracts because in order to help these brothers coming out of prison, I have to have contracts. Yes, yeah, so he has a, a, a cleaning service. Yeah, I have a cleaning service. LA's SNA cleaning service, and we allow ourselves to. We, 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 it's our hope, you know, to employ people you know, that's coming out of prison. Why? Because I know all the tricks. So if you ain't serious about the Dean of Al-Islam and you playing games, I'm going to see you. You know, so it's, it's, we're trying to, you know, give them some hope to let them see that, listen, man, it's, it's more than just talk. You know, the only thing we're responsible for is what it is that we have to do. So what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm still talking to people. You know, I'm, I'm still making my prayers. I'm still making do. I tell them you make a do for me and I'm going to make one for you. You know, we got to try to find you a job. We got to try to make it possible for you to take care of your children. We definitely got to make it possible for you to hold on to the Dean of Allah's love. So, you know, my work continues. I'm not looking for any praise or, or nothing like that. I'm trying to do the work it is that people didn't do for me way back then when it was necessary. So that's what I'm still up to. It's all it is that I have left. I ain't got nothing else left. So just like I tell brother, if I'm willing to die for that foolishness, then I'm definitely willing to die for this. We're feeding people every Saturday. 
in California. And they look forward to that. Oh, when I'm not there, they, 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 when I'm not there, they're asking questions. Where that brother Sadiq at? Because while they're waiting on the boxes of food, I'm talking to him. I'm asking them, ain't you tired of living like this? You know, don't you see what the way it is that you think it ain't working for you? So if it ain't working for you, you know it ain't gonna work for me. So can't we just sit down and look at some other options? You know, what? how to bring you out of that mess? No, you're not gonna drink any beer over here. You're gonna take them cigarettes down the street. You're not gonna clown over here. We ain't gonna have no fight nowhere in this area because this is a community of love. Now you can't expect to get what it is that God has for you until first of all, you begin to change your conduct and your behavior. And this is where it starts it right here. So when I'm not there, usually them same people that's in the street is where that brother Sadiq at. <laughs> because I'm talking to them and I'm interacting with them. We can't act like because they're not living the way it is that we're living that they don't count. Because when you do that, they remain where it is that they act. Our job is only to deliver the message. So I try to do so at every chance it is that I can. You know, before before we started recording this, as you were on your way to, to meet Justin, he told me that you're a very um, charismatic individual and and I think he was doing you a disservice when he said that you're one of the most energetic and inspiring people I've spoken to in a long time. I, as in, I, I could I could talk to you all day, man. Honestly, it's um, th there's a certain realness when you speak, and like sometimes when I when I do these podcasts and when I speak to people generally in life, you know, you know, people are holding back. You know, people are kind of being reserved and not being themselves because I don't know they want to for whatever reason not do that, but. What, what I've loved about our chat just now is just that you've, you've just offloaded and just been yourself. Um, and and it's, it's refreshing to hear and it's, it's, it's such a real perspective. And, and um, I guess, you know, thank you for, for sharing that with us. My final question very quickly to Justin is uh, the documentary is out on the 8th of April. Hopefully the podcast will actually be out before then. If not, then it'll have just, you know, the documentary will have just come out a few days ago. Um, but what do you hope that people will take away from watching it? Um, one, I, I really hope that people will take away a piece of, you know, give, give themselves perspective and um, see that they need to prioritize um, the way they think about, you know, folks that are coming home. Um, it is incredibly difficult um, to come f out of prison and there are some very simple things that we can do to help, uh, you know, people on that, on that journey. So th that is one, my first hope is that people want to get involved, people want to help and, and reach out. Um, two, I also, you know, pray that it will help people reevaluate the way they think about the uh, the criminal justice system or the quote-unquote criminal justice system um, and how um, how in trouble we are um, so we can start making policy changes so we can start um, you know thinking about our local DA races for, for district attorney here in America I don't know how your criminal justice system works in the UK but the district attorneys here in the US have so much power and uh, it's incredibly important to put the right person into that uh, into that position. So I'm I, I'm hoping and praying with the film that those two uh, main takeaways um, reign true, and that that we're able to help serve you know our brothers and sisters that are coming home. No, that's brilliant. Thank you. I mean, uh, Sadiq, any any final words from yourself? I just want to hear you speak one more time. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking about a brother that came home uh, within the last year. He did 46 years and 10 months. 46 years and 10 months in prison. 
And I talked with him even while we was in prison. And he told me that the murder it is that they charged him with, he didn't do. So I'm thinking about people like that who come to the street who have to adjust to a whole nother way of doing things. So I call him constantly. You know, I ask him, brother, how you doing? How you feel? I don't have much, but I'm willing to share what it is that I have. And it's just these little things that makes a difference in his life. You know, sometimes he just needs somebody to talk to. Sometimes he needs somebody to remind him of where he, what he's supposed to be doing as a Muslim. So when I call him and talk to him, I realize there's many more brothers like that coming to the street. And without any kind of real connection to those that's truly living the way they're supposed to be living as Muslim, they're going to get lost out here. Yeah. Right. And I tell people that all the time, these same people that you're not willing to help is some of the same people you'll wake up and find in your bedroom when they get too hungry. <laughs> you know, you'll wake up trying to figure out what they get. These are the same people that, is that you rejected. These are the same, same human beings, you know, that you, that you shun, that you avoided, you know, and that's not what it is that a Muslim do. So I'm trying to do what it is I have to do based on Sunnah, based on an example it is that has been given to us in Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon them. You know, and the creator say, everything else is left up to me. So I try to stay out of the way of everything else and just do my part. So <laughs> if we stay connected like that, we can all do it together. I, I love it. I, I, love, I love your outlook on life. Um, thank you both very much for your time today. This has been a, a genuine pleasure. Um, and, and I hope we, we connect again soon. Salam. Well, that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed... Um, well, I, I definitely enjoyed the conversation. Sadiq um, is, and I mentioned it at the end of the podcast, just has this kind of raw charisma about him. I could, I could honestly listen to him talk for days. I might have to get his number off Justin and just call him randomly and, and, and just hear him speak because there's a kind of a, a conviction, um, it, even in his voice, that it's just really refreshing um, and, and really inspiring as well. Um, but I feel more broadly there is an issue that we have within the Muslim community looking at, I mean there's two issues, number one you're looking at talking about converts um, and, and the struggles that they face and it's something that I've heard from every convert pretty much that I've met, um, just you know feeling ostracized and not being welcome and not having that brotherhood that they expected and, and anticipated and were told about when they, you know talks of, of the ummah and things like that. Um, but then also with regards to ex-cons and I guess um, the preconceived notions we might have about them um, and, and the lack of trust and whatever else. Um, and these are serious issues that need to be addressed because, you know, if, if you manage to watch the documentary, you'll see the struggles that Sadiq faces. And without the support of individuals, without Iman as an organization, without the brothers in the halfway house that were with him, that acted as that support network, he could have very easily slipped back into a, an unsavory life of of crime or whatever else um, because that's that's what he grew up with that's what he knew of the streets um, so it's something that needs to be addressed and, and I felt it was important to when Justin reached out I, I thought we have to do this we have to have this conversation because we need to start thinking about how we can support um, Muslims coming out of prison re-entering society but also converts as well and I, I think uh, Sadiq poses um, the kind of double, or he, he highlights the, the issue from both perspectives. Um, and Alhamdulillah, he's, he's come out the other end in a positive way because he's been lucky enough to have that support network through the organizations that have helped him and the individuals. But not everyone's that fortunate. And there's only one Sadiq he can't call everybody in the, in the US that's an ex-con. It, it's upon 
us as individuals and you know those of us that have positions in organizations to also leverage that to, to help support um, Muslims in those situations and I think um, I think there's a long way to go but but it sounds like there is or there are a lot of people now working in this way so uh, let's I guess let's see where things go just very quickly before I sign off um, just want to thank you guys for subscribing want to encourage those casual listeners who might just be listening on the website to subscribe to our podcast to give us a five-star rating um, and be sure to tell your friends and, and contact us if you have any thoughts or whatever you can email me on salim at the muslimvibe.com yeah that's it uh, thank you very much once again for listening assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh